Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Welcome to today's podcast episode. We are going to talk about all things RTI, MTSS, SST. It has a million names. I am Caitlin Lopez, the host of This Speech Life. But before we begin, we have just a few housekeeping items. The first one being if you are taking this course for credit at the conclusion of today's course, please log into your speech therapy PD. Dot com portal and complete all modules, especially the one entitled quiz. All right. And if you have any questions for fabulous Brittany today, go ahead and pop them into the chat at any time and I will be happy to get them to her. Okay. Last bit of housekeeping items. I am going to read our financial disclosures. I'm Caitlin Lopez, the host of this Speech Life podcast, and I do receive compensation for this presentation from speechtherapypd.com. I have no non-financial relationships to report. Brittany's financial disclosures are that she receives salaries from being an SLP at her school district and from her work on Seldom Speechless, her Instagram, and I believe Teachers Pay Teachers. She receives an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com for her appearance as a guest on this episode. All right, without further ado, I am just so excited to introduce to all of you, if you don't know Brittany Fregon from Seldom Speechless, let me introduce her to you. She is a school-based speech language pathologist currently in her sixth year at the preschool and early elementary school levels. She has a passion for leveraging collaboration, consultation, and the response to intervention multi-tiered systems of supports model to improve the workload of busy school-based SLPs. She uses her platform, Seldom Speechless, to share ideas and resources to support school-based SLPs. I've learned so much from her since joining Speech Instagram. She's one of my favorite accounts to follow. And I just really love the way that she approaches RTI and MTSS. So I knew that she needed to be the one to have on the podcast to tackle this topic. So Brittany, without further ado, let's just jump right into it. What are three things that we need to know when it comes to RTI, MTSS, SST? whatever it is that your district calls it. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and to be talking about this because I really do think it's starting to be a big role of school-based SLP. So it's important to understand it and leverage it. I like using that word, leverage it to be productive for you, to not be another burden. So I think the first thing we have to talk about is what you just said, all the different names that it has and what does that even mean? So you might hear RTI, you might hear MTSS. I know the district I work for personally calls it SST. So let's talk about some of those acronyms and how they're the same and maybe how they're a little bit different. 
So RTI is response to intervention, and it's a framework for providing accessible education to all students. And it really came out of and is focused on literacy. That's the big piece behind RTI is helping students meet those literacy benchmarks. And some components of it are evidence-based instruction, so making sure that the curriculum students are being taught in the classroom is high quality and has an evidence base to it. Huge piece is universal screening, so all kids get screened to see where they're coming in at as they enter each grade, and then ongoing progress monitoring to see are they making effective progress with this universal high-quality instruction that we're providing. And then if they're not, there's ongoing data dialogue. So school professionals are meeting to discuss the student's performance on the progress monitoring and determine should they be moving up in the tiers. So response to intervention is a tiered framework, and you'll often see the triangle with the three tiers of where students fall, and that's the differentiated instruction, which we will talk more about the tiers. But those are the big points that we're differentiating instruction for learners. That is based on their screening results, based on their progress monitoring, and at all levels, the decisions we're making should be evidence-based and high quality moving towards reducing that literacy gap that's been growing and growing. So that's RTI. MTSS is multi-tiered systems of support, and it's a collection of initiatives that includes RTI. So they're working towards the same effort, right? But multi-tiered systems of support is really looking at the whole child. So it wants to meet the needs of all learners from all perspectives. So it includes response to intervention for reading and math, but it also includes social-emotional support. You might hear another acronym, PBIS, Positive Behavioral Interventions and Support, that falls under MTSS. But it also includes really changing the culture of the school. So cultural competency, community outreach, parent involvement, and professional development for the teachers. RTI is great, but if we're not given the tools to implement it, then we can't meet the needs of all the kids. And so MTSS is supposed to provide that instruction to the community and the teachers so we can support any child that shows up in our classroom. But then some schools call it SST, which means student support team. So in my district, if they say student support team, they mean multi-tiered systems of support. They mean RTI. And at the end of the day, it just means meeting every kid at the level they're at so they can attain academic success. Awesome. I have to say, I did not realize there was a difference. So thank you for breaking that down. And I mean, there was one year that I was in charge of the MTSS at my school and they just gave me a notebook and they said, here, learn this because Mm -hmm. I kept asking for it because I was like, I don't think these kids, like they're one articulation error kids. And I was like, I really don't want to qualify them. What if we can do like a five minute speech program and have the teacher or the instructional aides? We had college tutors at that school. Like, what if we can have them do it? And so I was trying to be creative and they're like, here, do this, you know? And I was like, oh, and I, I have to admit, it was not a well-carried-out year of MTSS. Well, and they keep changing it, right? So one year, you're really gung-ho on RTI, and then the next year, you're really gung-ho on MTSS. So it keeps changing, which makes it difficult to stay on top of it. But at the end of the day, it's about differentiating instruction to meet the needs of all learners, and it's done through a tiered system. So you're kind of working from least restrictive environment to most restrictive environment, working through that scaffolding instead of jumping all in, you're giving kids a chance at each level. Yeah, I love that. And I love the definition that you gave us and just where RTI came from as it being literacy-based. 
So I will say the next year, I mean, they took it off my plate. Like they knew that that was not how it was going to go down. And also the next year was the 2020-2021 school year. And so my role, it's a very long story that I don't need to get into, but my role as a speech therapist at my school completely changed. And that was from special education director changing our roles. So then I will say we did do RTI well because they did task the school. So the district I was working in, there were only 10 of us that were district hired. The rest were contract. And so the 10 of us that were district hired were tasked with coming up with something that was going to keep kids out of special ed. And so I just researched story champs and I was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And so that's what we did, which is very great for differentiating instruction and using those universal screeners to figure out who's in that group. But I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I'm just very excited that like, yeah, you're supposed to do. Yeah. And story champs, the creators, they have a lot of talks about how story champs fits into MTSS. And I use story champs at my school as well. So definitely a great resource if you're looking for something like standard that you can implement right away. Yeah. And it was great. The school-based SLPs kind of modeled it and then we passed it on. And so that was fantastic because it has all the resources right there, the scripts for the college Mm -hmm. tutors to carry out. So anyway, okay. So your first point was know your acronyms. So thank (laughs) you for explaining those different acronyms. What else do we need to know about RTI and MTSS? What do you want to refer to it as like moving? That's good. I'm going to call it MTSS because MTSS really encompasses everything. But just know that we're talking about whatever the tiered intervention system is at your school, it applies, but I'll I'll refer to it as MTSS just to make things simpler. And then I forgot to mention that. So I'm the creator of Seldom Speechless and I have a website, just seldomspeechless.com. And last night I posted my handout that's guiding me because I'm like a visual learner. So if you're also a visual learner, you can pop over there and just download the PDF and it just kind of the same information I just provided, but with some charts because I'm a visual learner, but that's what I'm, I'm holding right now. Caitlin put it in the chat if you're looking for the link, but if that helps you follow along with me, I did put that up there. But the next piece that I think SLPs need, right, is a different way of looking at MTSS because I think when admin comes in and says, oh, we got this great new thing. You're going to see kids across three tiers of intervention. You're going to start intervening before they're in special ed. Like you get anxiety thinking I'm already stressed out. I already have a busy caseload. How am I supposed to fit all of this in? And so I would kind of like to challenge SLPs and, and something I had to do when I was trying to figure all this out to reframe it as an opportunity. And so one resource that I'll talk about is Dr. Barbara Aaron. It's E-H-R-E-N. She has many articles about RTI and how it applies to school-based SLPs. But in one article, she has a quote where she says, instead of thinking of it as one more thing piling on top of your plate, right, your overflowing plate, think of it as just getting a totally different plate. And I like to think of it as one of those like barbecue plates with all the compartments, right? So we're going to streamline what we're doing and sort it into these compartments to take more of a workload approach. And that's what MTSS allows us to do. And so to explain that more, right? So we have barriers in our field right now that are leading to burnout. Some things that we hear pretty often are there's not enough SLPs. No one knows what we do. So they're not hiring more SLPs. They don't understand our purpose. Our caseloads are huge. We don't have enough time because there's too much paperwork. And I really think MTSS and what I found MTS can do is kind of break through some of those barriers, right? So 
The first two tiers of MTSS are really indirect services. So things like consultation, collaboration, co-teaching, and professional development. And through indirect services, you can support more students up front before the special education eligibility. So for example, like consultation or co-teaching, I could go into a classroom and model a strategy. I could model identifying story grammar elements as a teacher's reading a story, or I could do a lesson about story grammar elements and support 30 kids in the classroom. And because the teacher sees me doing it, she can actively carry over that skill the next time she does an interactive story reading compared to waiting until these kids pop up for special education eligibility down the road. And then I'm only working with two or three kids in a pullout session. And who knows if it's going to carry over because the teacher doesn't know to be doing it yet. So MTSS is an opportunity to be more present in the classrooms and to provide these indirect services, which allows us to serve more kids up front. And when we serve more kids up front, they spend less time on our caseload if they end up there because they've been receiving support for years in their community through their classroom. And we get less referrals in the end because kids come in with these cracks in their foundation, their language foundation. And if we don't provide the strategies up front through MTSS, those cracks grow and grow and grow and the academic skills fall through. And eventually the kids end up being referred to us for a disability. And so it's really an opportunity to prioritize those indirect services, which is a workload approach, right? We can serve more kids versus the direct service. And I love working with kids. I don't want to not work with kids, but if I can support more learners up front, I think that's a great opportunity to reduce the amount of children that I'm working with directly at the end. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for that. You know, in years past, this is my 11th year as an SLP and there are times where like it's been really easy and natural for me to co-teach with a teacher. Mm-hmm. There was one school that I was at for several years And the school psychologist and I shared an office and we worked really well together. And I was teaching her about phonological awareness and how that's like a skill set that we work on. And I was sharing with her Scarborough's reading rope and how it's so important for us to be involved in literacy and how teachers are really only given kind of two of those threads within the rope Mm -hmm. to work on. So then she started getting me involved with a lot of, it was a, I'm sure it's very similar to the schools that you are at right now because we were pre-K through third grade, but we had nine kindergarten classrooms. I mean, the school was ginormous, but we only had pre-K through third grade. Yes, it was a lot. (laughs) And all I did when I was at that school was assessments because there were just so many referrals. But one of the things that the school psychologist and I started to notice was we were getting a lot of these third graders that didn't have these phonological awareness skills. And I wish I was there long enough to see if it carried over to by the time they were in third grade to see less referrals, but I wasn't. But I started working with the kindergarten teachers. I would do just the first few minutes every day in a different kindergarten class. And I joined their, whatever it is, the district I'm in now calls it something different, but their time as a, like on minimum like common planning time. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you, Brittany. So I joined their common planning time and I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. But I worked fabulously with that team. I'd been there for several years. I had their trust. Now I'm at a brand new school. This school year has been, I took a year off 
I had a child and I took a year off and I worked in a clinic thinking I'm never going to go back to the schools after the craziness that was the pandemic. And then here I am back in the school setting. But I'm at a brand new school. And when I'm talking to teachers about MTSS and SST, and especially the speech therapists at the school district that I'm at, they are like, no, that's for the teachers. We're not involved with that mm-hmm. as a whole department. And so I'm really loving what you're saying because it was something that just kind of intuitively happened for me. And now I'm like, okay, how do we create more time to make this happen? Sorry if I'm jumping no, ahead. I'm just I, really, I'm really resonating with what you're saying as far as collaborating yep. and providing those opportunities to teach teachers what we do and how we can work together and having them see the students through our lens, maybe giving them our speech language pathologist glasses to put on and what that looks like, I think would be really huge. Again, it's more work, but like you said, on the back end of things, it will end up being less work and those kids won't have the stigma, right? Of coming. Yeah. It is a lot more work up front. And I love the point that you just made about different school districts, right? It's not like these things are easy. I'm not saying this is easy. And that's why we should reframe it as a restructuring, right? You need to work with your admin and say, look, there are these systemic issues with the curriculum. So an example is, I think a lot of districts move to like a writer's workshop model and there's been issues with that, right? And a lot of the explicit instruction was taken out of writing a few years ago. And I found that students weren't learning grammar, right? There was no step for them to brainstorm their ideas. They just got right to work. And so there was no logical flow. And I was getting all these referrals for kids who couldn't produce narratives. But that really wasn't what the problem was. It was that we weren't teaching them those pre-writing steps. And so instead of waiting for all these kids to pop up for eligibility and special education, I worked with the teachers to do a whole class lesson on kind of a modified story grammar, right? So we would say who, what, where, and when with the kindergartners and get them to start their story, maybe draw it out a little bit, and then they could get started on writing. So it wasn't that they didn't know narrative language, it's that they didn't know the steps of being a writer. And as a speech language pathologist, I was able to say, hey, we got to backtrack here. You know, they need to know what the elements are before they can just jump into writing. So I think one thing about MTSS, when you move more towards that indirect intervention, right? So that's indirect just means you're in the classroom, you're there with the teachers. The teachers are overwhelmed too. So if you're there, you're showing your value. They realize like, hey, this lady knows what she's talking about. She's helping me notice these gaps. We're filling them in and the kids are actually making progress here. And it's hard at first to get that buy-in, to find the time in your schedule. But long-term, you do end up with fewer referrals, right? And you end up with this really nice community. Like I truly feel like I'm part of the kindergarten classrooms in my district because I go into their room every single week week. And it took a while to get there, like a good five years before I felt like I am part of this kindergarten classroom. But now it's great. And I can see when issues pop up quickly, like as we change every year, the curriculum changes, right? And we notice other gaps there because the curriculums, they're not as robust as we want them to be. They just never are. And we can take that language lens and embed that language enrichment. So I love that you have this like a perfect example of it. Yeah. And I love the point too, that you gave of teachers are so overwhelmed. And right now the district that I'm in MTSS is all about, okay, well, here are some strategies. I know a lot of therapists will just send their teachers. I cannot remember her name. My brain is like gone. End of the day. 
but yeah. the speech therapist that does the amazing videos on YouTube of oh, um, peachy speechy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Peachy speechy. You know, they'll send peachy speechy videos to the teachers and they're like, here you go. And so it kind of creates this tension between the teachers and the speech therapist, because the teachers are like, you want me to take data on this and do this every day. I'm not a speech therapist. Mm-hmm. And then the speech therapists are like, no, this is before they get to me. And I think that's the issue that I have with how our district currently is carrying out MTSS is that we're only looking at speech sounds. Yeah. And we become like the gatekeepers of this information. And we shouldn't be like we're professionals and we're there to collaborate and educate parents, paraprofessionals, classroom teachers, because at the end of the day, we spend such little time with these students. And if the people they're with all day don't know how to carry over what we're doing. It's never going to work. And there's research to show that some of the interventions we do and the intervention styles we do don't have an impact on academics because they're happening in isolation outside of the classroom. So really prioritizing those indirect services, for sure you need buy-in from the teachers, but they're going to see the value in it when they realize the kids are making faster progress and that it's really helping in the classroom. I know one thing that I do every single year is the first week of school, I go in and teach kids how to follow a direction. And really, I'm not teaching the kids how to follow the direction. I'm teaching the teachers how to give a direction. And it helps. I used to get so many referrals for kids. They just can't follow a direction. But now that we have a common language, everybody uses the same strategy across the whole building. I get less of those referrals. I just do because the teachers know what to do. And thinking about handing over an accommodation, right? You email them, like, these are the things you need to be doing to support your student. That's overwhelming. I would be overwhelmed if someone was like, just do these things, you know? So if you are in the classroom modeling that, it's going to be so much easier for them to do it because they're seeing it in practice. Did you know that SpeechTherapyPD.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. I always like to think of things in terms of outside of speech, you know, and there's that idea of like the five love languages and quality time with these teachers and acts of service with these teachers to get that buy-in. I think is is really huge. Okay, I want to make sure we get all three points from you yep. <laughs> before I start cutting you off or asking yeah. you more questions or sharing more stories. So know your acronym. Yeah. The idea of indirect services is point yep. number two, kind of what that tier one and tier two look like from our perspective. So what is your third thing that we need to know when it comes to MTSS? Yeah. So we talked about what it is. We talked about why it should matter to you. And now what does it really look like across the three tiers? So tier one is universal language support for all kids. And so that's where you are educating parents and classroom teachers and paraprofessionals on how to embed foundational language skills across the school day. And that could look like small seminars. It could look like professional development days. It could just be handouts that you provide, but providing that education, because I do think sometimes we become gatekeepers of our awesome knowledge. You know, I want to share that because I want these kids to succeed. So that first level, it looks like education. So sometimes I will offer on a professional development day to do a quick seminar on story grammar elements or embedding phonological awareness activities throughout your day, fun activities that teachers can do. It should be really applicable. You don't want them to have to sit through another thing of theory. You want to show them like, this is what you can do tomorrow with your classroom. 
And then I find, and I don't know if you found this too, but in our training, we had a lot of training on how to collect data, how to interpret data, how to read research, how to apply the research. And it's not a lot in teachers' masters. Like they get maybe a short course on it. So they're collecting all this data through the RTI system, but they don't know how to interpret it all the time. And they don't know how to differentiate that instruction. So we can go in there and and help them weed through that information, be part of the screening teams, part of the data dialogue teams, because we have good knowledge in that area. And so, for example, in my district, I do go into all of the kindergarten classrooms and provide a tier, we call it a tier one language lesson. And in the beginning of the year, I focus on foundational language skills. So I always start with following directions, but then we do storytelling and vocabulary practice. I link up with the teaching the alphabet and I teach them speech sounds. S is always one that I'm teaching. (laughs) And so I will go and model those strategies for the teachers, but I'm also kind of modeling them for the peers, right? So I have gone into classrooms and heard a student say, so for following directions, I teach listen, repeat, picture, go as the strategy our whole district uses. And I've heard students say to the kids sitting next to them, did you picture what Mrs. S said before you did it? You need to picture it. Let's picture it. And so the peers become kind of your co-conspirators in trying to support these kids' language skills. And that's awesome. So tier one, and I should say, sorry, this will look so different at every district. This is just like the idealized what it is. You might not do any direct intervention till tier three, and that's fine. I have worked over time to make it so I can go into the classrooms at tier one. But when I started, I was not in the classrooms at tier one. It was all just indirect consultation. But as your caseload becomes more manageable through this, you can start to intervene a little more at at earlier levels, but it will look different at every school. But so tier one, all students, you're educating, you're modeling, you're in the classroom, you're looking for those systemic problems, like what's missing from the curriculum? Why are you getting so many referrals? And then tier two is targeted intervention. And that's for some students. And I like to think of that as like the consultation level. So for me, I'm still not directly intervening with kids here. I'm taking part in like the student support team or whatever they call it, the student discussion team. And I'm helping kind of figure out what are the barriers for this specific child. And I'm giving some specific strategies. So I might say to the teacher, okay, so you're doing listen, repeat, picture, go in the classroom, but maybe this student needs you to repeat the direction multiple times. You need to get their attention first. So now we're giving them some specific strategies. And I might be training, you mentioned college tutors, or I might be training paraprofessionals to work one-on-one with kids to do specific practice with skills. So like story grammar or following directions, that doesn't have to come from me. I can supervise someone else supporting a small group of students in the classroom on specific foundational language skills. And then tier three That's intense, individualized intervention. These are just for a few kids who are just not making effective progress. And you have to ask yourself, did you go all in at tiers one and two, right? We don't want all kids to rise up to tier three. Is there something you could be doing for the whole class or some consultation you could be providing that would mitigate some of those kids from rising to tier three? But there will be kids who have bona fide speech language disabilities. We've done the dynamic assessment of MTSS, that's what it is, right? So we're providing interventions and we're seeing how kids respond to them. And if they've made it to tier three and they're still not making effective progress, you can be pretty confident that this is a student who has a true disability and needs to go on to special education and direct support from you. 
But it's important to know if you suspect a disability at any point, you need to refer that student. MTSS is not meant to prevent kids from getting access to special education. This is for those kids that you're like, is it a learning gap? Like, are they just missing exposure to something that we can provide before they get to special education? Those are the kids you're going to push through all three tiers. Awesome. Yeah. And I have been using MTSS as part of my assessment process. Like you said, it's just dynamic assessment. And I will often test students a little earlier just because the previous district that I was in, we had quite a few cases that went to litigation that they were requesting compensatory time because the student was in the MTSS process for so long. And then they finally qualified for special education services that families were requesting that all those back services were mm-hmm. given to them and they won. Yeah. And so that's something that at the beginning of the year, our lawyer said the bar to test is low, yeah. the bar to qualify is high. Yeah. And so sometimes you do find those students who are making great progress with tier two and tier three. And so they would not qualify, but then you can say, look, we tried everything and this kid is still needing more help. So why don't we go ahead and give them an IEP? Yeah. Um, make sure. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that if you truly suspect a disability, this is not meant to delay the referral process. I've heard people refer to it as a way to slow the floodgates, right? Oh, just put them through MTSS. They'll get to me eventually. That's not the purpose of this. MTSS is meant to get in there and try to clear up some of the systemic issues. So really looking at the curriculum and when we get to resources, that's a piece I want to talk about, which is kind of next, I guess. (laughs) But you really want to know the curriculum so you can find if you're getting a lot of referrals for vocabulary or a lot of referrals for grammar, is it really a disability or is it something missing from high quality instruction at tier one? I feel like that's a big piece of it is it's your job. It's kind of investigative work, right? But if you suspect a disability, then kids should be proceeding to testing. Absolutely. 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 Thank you. You know, I just, I love the way that you're laying this out because it's giving me better language for when I go to work tomorrow and I email my AP and say, okay, I need to be a part of this. I've got great language now to tell her exactly why I want to be a part of it. And I am grateful. Our district is making huge efforts to lower our caseloads, but I don't think that they know this is why (laughs) to do it. They just know that they should. And I'm very grateful in the state of California, we do have a caseload cap. I don't know if many districts follow it. This is the first district I've ever been a part of in California that is attempting to follow it. So uh, Felicia, they don't. Yeah, they don't. (laughs) But, you know, I will say that the district that I'm in now is attempting to follow it. So I'm grateful for that. Some do. Good to know. So those of you who are looking to come to California... High cost of living, but lower possible (laughs) caseloads. Yeah, Um, I mean, I think the caseload piece is huge in that the benefit of MTSS, right, is that we're visible. And I think we've been invisible for a long time. I think a lot of admins still think we do speech sounds only, and that's not what we do. And really, that's such a small part of our job. I mean, when you think about literacy, right, the ultimate goal of school is to attain literacy and literacy predicts quality of life. And the two pillars of literacy are oral language competency, so narrative language, grammar, vocabulary, and word recognition, phonology and morphology. I mean, it's us. The foundation for becoming a literate person is language. That's such a big piece of our field that I think they just shove us in a room for two times 30 pull out. And that's, it's not effective. And that's, yes, no. that's an opportunity to overcome that. Yeah, I love the way that you're making it 
so positive and such a fun thing. I mean, I'm inspired. I'm like <laughs> telling everyone, you know, I'm going to email my AP tomorrow and figure out how to be a part of this. Because I think I just started at my school this week, actually. And so (laughs) it's been a wild ride. I started in November with the district. And so I've just been covering leaps. But this school I'm going to be at, I am the speech therapist there. I'm not covering any leaps. And so I'm excited to really kind of meet needs instead of fill holes. That's what I felt like lately is it's valuable-ish, but as soon as I get to know the real needs of a student, I get moved elsewhere. So I am excited and you've definitely inspired me to jump into this and to request some of that universal screening information. My previous district, they gave all the SLPs access to those literacy screeners that they gave the students. And so that was really helpful because your groups are made right there. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the data and you go, oh, okay, I definitely know that I need to put Jeffrey I need to make sure, you know, look at what it is that he's doing and why he's having a hard time. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's a huge piece because I'm just thinking I had a lot of kindergartners referred from the screening and then I gave them the cube to the story champs companion to look at their narrative language skills and they had poor narrative language skills. And so those kids probably wouldn't get referred to me till second or third grade when suddenly they're not doing well with reading comprehension. But instead, in kindergarten, I'm teaching them the story grammar elements. And many of those kids have already moved through. They did an eight-week intervention with me. We did very focused, high-dose intervention on story champs. And they're done. And now that won't be a barrier to them learning to read later down the road. So it really is adapting from a deficit model to an early intervention model is kind of the MTSS process. Yeah, which I love. It's going to help these kids and also be more confident when it comes to reading and when it comes to school. So I love that, that it's an early intervention system. Okay. So let's get to resources. What are the two resources that you have for us? Sure. So I mentioned that I made kind of like a handout on my website. And so I kind of broke resources down into tier one and then tier two and three, because two and three is when students start to get more direct, explicit instruction. And tier one is really that educate and collaborate stage. And that handout has like two full pages of references, like any article you could think of. But I'll tell you the one article I think you should read as my second resource. So my first resource is this handout and things I include in it are to educate. We have to understand the foundation of reading. And so ASHA is a great resource for that. They have explicit papers about our roles and responsibility, not only in the schools, but in literacy. So you need to know your stuff. If you want the teachers to buy into having you in their classroom, you need to explain why you're educationally relevant because if you don't, it just feels like one more thing they have to do and they're not going to want you in, in their classroom. So definitely ASHA, I think, is a great resource. And then there's an article, and I found out about it through the Informed SLP, but it's the article is a Dobson and Doc Roll 2021. And they actually looked at what strategies were associated with classrooms who had really good embedded speech language support. So specifically like narrative and vocabulary. So if you're thinking about like universal design for learning, but from a speech perspective, things that you want to see are interactive book readings, explicit teaching of narrative structure, embedded language practice, and actually SLP involvement in the whole class level was a predictor of greater language foundations for a classroom and ultimately greater literacy skills. And so you can use that article and those specific strategies to look critically at your curriculum and decide, is the classroom an enriching language learning environment? And if it's not, that's where you're going to start. That's where you're going to start with education and with co-teaching and collaboration. You're going to go in and try to teach those specific things. 
interactive book reading, you know, I use a lot of puppets and I feel like people don't do that. <laughs> the kindergarten teachers just didn't do it. And so I'm trying to like bring playback. We act out the stories and stuff like that. And so I go in and model what that would look like for the teachers. And then they're more likely to carry it over because they've seen it in action. So I think that's a great resource. And I listed a couple other resources that are like whole class prescriptive kind of standardized protocols. So like Story Champs is a great example. There's Story Friends. And then I do have a resource on Teachers Pay Teachers that's got some lessons that I've developed for kindergarten to kind of meet some of those foundational speech skills. So I did link that there. And then I talked about tier two and tier three resources. So not only is it an opportunity for us to prioritize indirect service, right? I think that's the bulk of it. But there are kids that we're going to work with directly. And it's a chance to look at our intervention model. So I feel like two times 30 pullout is the standard, is the status quo. And it's just not individualized if everybody's getting two times 30 pullout. And it's not the most effective for everybody. And so the research shows the thing that is most effective is high teaching dose. And so you can have a low frequency of intervention, see kids less often if you're doing a really high teaching dose in that moment. So if I'm seeing a group of six rambunctious kindergarten boys three times a week, it's going to be useless because I'm not doing a high teaching dose. It's better if I see one of those kindergarten boys for five minutes, even just once or twice a week, because the teaching dose is going to be really high. And that's what leads to better progress for kids. So I think it's an opportunity to look at different intervention models, like the three to one model, speedy speech, five minute speech, those kinds of things. So I listed out just a few different things you can find in the articles that different schedule models, different intervention, different co-teaching, because it is an opportunity to try different things and see what works for you and your district. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate all the work you did for us. And those of you who are listening later, you can find this handout that she's talking about on her website, www.seldomspeechless.com. Just wanted to make sure that we repeated that. And I really appreciate all the work that you have gone to, to making this so accessible for us. And I also really appreciate how you've shared your journey of what it's looked like for you. You shared that originally it was that tier one was looking more like you collaborating with teachers and sharing your knowledge. And now you get to step into the classroom and have some fun with those kids. And that's something that you look forward to, not something that is a burden on your shoulders. So I do. I truly feel like I'm part of the kindergarten team. And it's an awesome feeling to walk into a wing of the building and just feel like, oh yeah, these are my people. Like this is where I belong. And every student knows my name. They all know I'm a speech language pathologist. I teach them that. And I tell them that I help kids with their talking and listening and that everyone needs help with talking and listening one way or another. And so it's really not stigmatizing. It's just part of their day. It's just part of reading or math. And I I love that because... Like I said, I just feel like we're invisible sometimes, like we're the gatekeepers and a school is a community. So we should be part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Are you looking to move up on the pay scale? You can through speechtherapypd.com in collaboration with University of the Pacific. Start earning graduate level credits today. Courses are evidence-based and practical. Win-win. Check out speechtherapypd.com for more information on earning graduate level credits. I do have to admit that I have been a part of school systems where I just hide out in my office because I'm so afraid of another referral coming in Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not quite sure, you know, let alone where I'm going to fit the time to test them, but how am I going to fit them in another group? 
So I do appreciate that you're sharing how much work it is upfront, but how you really have seen less referrals come across your desk over time. Yeah. And being in the classroom, like I can see the kids that are coming my way. I'm not blindsided by the number of referrals I'm getting. I see the kids and a lot of them I'm already providing some kind of intervention to. So we know whether or not it's effective so far by the time they're actually being referred for special education eligibility. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I listed out a ton of articles, like any topic you could think about with RTI, I read it. They're all open access. Like you can just Google the name of the article and you'll find a PDF of it somewhere. My trick is if you put the name of the article and then put PDF at the end and hit Google, usually the PDF will pop up. So that's my trick to finding articles. But there's one article, this is like the number one resource. If you want more information, like you're popping off this. On the RTI network, they do these things called RTI Talks, which I think it's probably like a podcast, but they just have the transcripts. I can't find the actual audio, but there's a transcript from a talk by Dr. Barbara Aaron, and that's E-H-R-E-N, and Maureen Staskowski. They're both speech-language pathologists, and this RTI Talk is just, I mean, it must be dozens of questions from school-based SLPs on how this all works. Any question you probably have in your mind right now, like, does this include articulation? How does assessment work? How does progress monitoring work? Are there programs we can use? Someone asked them those questions and they're extremely knowledgeable SLPs with a lot more experience than me who focus exclusively on RTI. And it's just a list of questions and they're really thoughtful answers. So that's a great resource if you're looking for more information right away. Awesome. Uh, Staskowski, I think that's her name. She did an amazing research study on story champs. And we used her research to kind of sell it to our district of like, you know what, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's just do this. And this is not a story champs commercial, but they did a longitudinal study of providing intervention to preschoolers and kindergartners. And they did notice over time that their third grade referrals did go down over their entire district. So the article, I don't know what the article is, but I could find it somewhere in my emails, I'm sure. I bet she linked it in the RTI talk because they linked a lot of articles that answered some of the questions that people were asking. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so that is another resource that you guys can check out. It was pretty incredible where I thought, oh, we'll see. And then the percentage of students that fell off of referrals were amazing. Or the less number, you know, it was quite a big percentage. I shouldn't say quite a big, but it was big enough that it was worth looking into and implementing. Absolutely. I mean, that's the power of early intervention, right? Kids spend less time on caseload and the gaps don't develop because we give them that explicit instruction right from the get-go. So yeah, I believe that. I think that's great. And and I work in a preschool to third grade. I really just work with preschool through first grade. And I really just do RTI with kindergarten through first grade. But long-term, I would love to do a complexity approach kind of thing with preschoolers, right? To try to address some of those phonological processing disorders that pop up in kindergarten. And I think that'd be a great RTI kind of thing. So I'm still evolving with it. You know, I think preschool's the next to come, but Story Champs has been a really helpful tool at the kindergarten level to get started right away, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. As you're talking complexity approach in preschoolers, I know we had, oh gosh, I can't think of their names. I um, my brain I is listened good. to it. Something kids. Anyway, they have a resource that they use with their students. Cluster for, kids. Is it cluster kids? Is yes, their cluster program? kids? Yes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, preschool teachers could totally implement cluster mm-hmm. kids during their day. 
That would be awesome. So, I mean, this isn't meant to be a commercial podcast, but no. <laughs> but just sharing resources. Yes. And, you know, I was also thinking about Shannon Werbeckis from Speechy Musings was on an episode last year and she talked about morphology and teaching suffixes and prefixes and how that would be a great strategy to use with older students Yep, with MTSS. So thank you. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all these yep. things and I'm really excited for tomorrow, which is why yes. we do these podcasts, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We get reinvigorated for the work that we do. All right. So you have shared, oh, thank you, Kathy, where the other reference is the talker podcast. Is it the rtinetwork.org? Is that where it is, yep, rtinetwork.org. And then if you search RTI Talks SLPs, I think it's like the first Google link that comes up. Yeah, hopefully that will be helpful for you. All right, so what is your one actionable strategy for those of us like me who are like, I can't wait to get started? Yeah, and, and especially for those of us who are maybe feeling so overwhelmed and don't know where to start, right? Because you're already busy. And this is, I'm asking you to just completely change everything you do, right? I think the best place to start is to look at the curriculum, know your standards, whether it's Common Core or specific state standards, and look at the curriculum and look at your referrals. And what are you getting the most referrals from? What are most of the students at your district struggling with? And try to brainstorm a way that you can try to intervene early in the classroom to address that. So if you're getting a lot of referrals for following directions, could you go in and teach a lesson on how to follow a direction? If you're getting a lot of referrals for kids who can't tell a story, could you go in and teach paraprofessionals to do a story champ small group in each of the kindergarten classrooms? Something like that. So I think your first step is to really look critically at your caseload and find where it's unmanageable and try to brainstorm a way you can indirectly try to support more kids in that area. Awesome. Thank you. All right. I have a couple of follow-up questions for you. What has been like a huge aha moment for you when it comes to your MTSS journey? You know, I really feel like the kids carrying over the strategies for other kids has been incredible to see. And kids that I never would have supported because they don't have disabilities. It's nice to see even they benefit from this instruction. So the, one of the first years that I did this, when I teach the basics of story grammar, so just who, what, where, when, for the purpose of small moment narrative writing, that's what they do first in my district. I make bracelets with the kids and I teach them each bead means something. And I went back into a classroom like six months later. And this kid is like perfectly average, like middle of the pack, doing well in school. And they kind of pulled me aside and they said, this tool that you gave me, it really helped me. And that was like, to, you know, like all the heartwarming fuzzies, like it's great when it helps the kids that are going to end up on our caseload. Absolutely. But to know that something I was doing was supporting all learners in that classroom and the teachers every year, like you're coming in and doing that bracelet activity, right? That's the aha moment when you can provide support that is immediately applicable to the classroom and you see that carryover. You're like, this is what I want to be doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. So can you talk a little bit more about that process of what was it that helped you open that doorway into the classroom? So you had shared that you originally were sharing. Were you sharing through handouts? How did that go down? So it started with we had like a traditional RTI approach. So like you said, I get an email saying this student is struggling with this. And then what I was supposed to do at the time was email a list of accommodations that they should try, come back to me in eight weeks if that's not working. 
But instead, I went in and I became a center and modeled that strategy for that student. And then I said, okay, now you try this and get back to me. And that morphed into, let me teach it to the whole class by myself. You just watch. And at first, some of the teachers were busy sending emails. They weren't paying attention to anything that I was doing. But then the kids started to carry over the strategies and they started to see how it benefited them. And so slowly it morphed into now the teachers co-teach with me, right? They do part of the lesson. I do part of the lesson. And it's really like a collaborative dance, which is nice. So I think in the beginning, you're going to take on most of the work. You're going to be there showing the teacher the benefit of it. And over time, they're going to start to take some of the burden off of you and really work beside you instead of just watching you do the work with the kids. Fantastic. I know a big question that's going to be going through people's heads as they're listening to this. How did you find time to make this happen? So I think you have to go to administration. And I know advocacy is a hard part of anything, but you have to go and say, if you want me all in in this MTSS thing, this has to be part of my caseload. Imagine this is a student. So we have six kindergarten classrooms and I go into every single one every single week. So this student is six times 30 and I need time in my caseload for that if you're expecting me to do it. And so in the beginning, it's hard, right? Because the referrals are still coming because you're not getting the benefit of these strategies, these interventions. But over time, the referrals do decrease. And I started slow. So when I started, I went into the kindergarten classrooms once every other month. And now, because my the referrals are slowing down, I'm going in every single week because the teachers see the value, I see the value, and my numbers are starting to decrease because I'm finally reaping the benefits of it. But in the beginning, I just did what I could. For you, it might just be one teacher, maybe just one teacher you choose and you do a whole class lesson with them once in a while. Maybe it's just once a term, but you'll start to see the benefits of it. You'll see the teachers carrying it over. So I would say start small, definitely start small advocate for the time. And then as new referrals come in, think critically, should I send this kid straight to tier three special education eligibility, or should I try a whole class lesson with this particular student? So maybe you just start with one student, but over time, you'll be able to fit more in your schedule if you go all in with this process, I think. Awesome. I just, I appreciate how you've shared your journey with it, of how you started small. And and I think the advocacy piece is so big. I know Asha has some information on the three-to-one workload model, and they have a lot of good research to share with your administrators. There's another separate training that our district did several years ago, the communication severity skills. It came out of San Diego, SELPA in Southern California, and they did a lot of work about how to kind of figure out what that workload looks like for each student and the time and their big push, the SELPA's big push was to get SLPs in the classroom. And so it was a lot of indirect service that they were providing or direct service, but direct service in terms of I'm teaching from the front of the classroom. And Mm -hmm. so they have a lot of really good research too. I know that they're moving their training to be an online training, but I don't know yet if that's happened. Yeah. And the beauty of indirect service, right, is you can support more students up front. And if you're in the classroom, it's carried over. So intervention moves more quickly. So that's a big piece in finding time is the kids who are qualifying for special education. 
you have to question the two times 30 for everybody. And, and that's when I walked into, you know, I took over for an SLP who had been here for 30 years and every kid was seen. And when I said, no, I'm going to do one times 30 in the classroom or three times 30, pull out in the hallway, the teachers are like, what? <laughs> you know, but you have to try it. You'll never know if it's effective for your district and your students if you don't try those things. Yeah, it's true. I'm even thinking in terms of SDC classrooms and and I'm currently trying to get some kids onto some creative service models where I'm doing like a whole group core lesson and providing support for classroom and paraprofessionals to do core throughout the day and then maybe some individual time with each of those students. Yeah, and that's a hard thing because we all love the kids and we love working one-on-one with them and seeing the impact we're having directly. But I do feel like at the end of the day, you have to say, what's the most efficient use of my time and who is the best person to support this child? And sometimes, especially in those classrooms with the students that are more high needs, sometimes we're not the best person because we're not with them very much. 60 minutes, 90 minutes a week is nothing. It's nothing. And if we can teach the people who are actually present with them to carry over the strategies, it's just going to be more effective. Even though I love those kids and I want to work with them, you just have to ask yourself critically, is this the best use of my time? Yeah, absolutely. I was collaborating with a colleague earlier today. She's a fresher SLP than I am. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) And she was asking, you know, I don't know if I should qualify this student or not. It was a one articulation error. And so I was providing her a couple of different ways that she could work with the student. She's like, I just really like him. He's so sweet. He's such a good kid. And I said, yeah, but we have to look at our time as, you know, triage. I say this, our district is working towards lowering our caseloads. That is not the case currently. And so knowing her caseload, I said, you know, you got to triage sometimes. And that's the unfortunate reality that a lot of us live in. Yeah. And articulation, especially, I think comes up a lot with RTI because it's easy to think of it as, well, they don't really qualify for special education, so they qualify for RTI. But that's not the purpose, right? The purpose of RTI is to provide the least amount of support to get the student to success. And so for articulation, that might mean speedy speech for maybe five to six weeks to get them stimulable. And then maybe you provide morning work for the teacher to be doing as a tier two intervention that's specific to their speech center. So sometimes I'll provide sight words that are all the students' speech sound error. And I say, they can make this sound. So put the visual in front of them. And when everybody else is practicing sight words, they're practicing these sight words because this is the sound that they need to be practicing. So I think you might need to be there present, but then you can pass the baton onto somebody else who can carry it over. Absolutely. And I just kind of gave it to her in the idea of, do you want to write that progress report or not? And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, that's a good way to look at that. You know, it's not just 20 minutes once a week out of my day. Like it's also the additional meetings and the progress reports for some of these students. And the reality is they need to be in the classroom more than they need to be with us. So that's a huge point because my paperwork for a tier one, tier two intervention student is nothing compared to a full evaluation a full IEP yearly and progress reports. And that's where our time gets eaten, right? All the paperwork that we have to do for every kid. So if you can intervene with some of these kids earlier on, you can get rid of some of that paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. When I started thinking about it that way of, do I want to write this progress report or not? It was, no, I guess not. And you think, oh, one goal, one progress report, but that's at least 15 minutes of the school year. And perspective wise, that kid probably shouldn't be qualifying. 
it's easy to say they qualify because I'm the person who can fix this problem. But that's not really what we need to be asking ourselves. Do they qualify because it's impacting them academically and their needs cannot be met in the classroom? And sometimes MTSS is the way we figure that out. Yeah. Thank you for that. Of Just working your way through the tiers and providing that support is helpful. And I think that that is something that I've seen a lot of pushback about that idea of, well, I am a special education service provider and I'm providing services. How is that different from an IEP? But it's thinking about it in terms of collaborating with the teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I might be teaching placement, but I'm also teaching teacher placement ideas. And I also like that idea of working in centers with kids, you know, in a, in a sense of you may be saying, okay, remember, keep your tongue in your cage or, or whatever silly cue you give for whatever sound. And then the child next to them is hearing that and also reminding them too. Yeah. And that's the specialized instruction piece you're talking about, right? In terms of how is it different from an IEP service? So yeah. if you're thinking of a kid who needs like cycles or complexity approach, I'm the one that needs to provide that service. If a student is not going to make effective progress with their speech sounds, which prevents them from accessing literacy because they need a specialized program like that, that's a kid that needs to go on to special education. But a kid who just needs me to say, hey, keep your tongue behind your teeth. Is that specialized instruction or am I just the person who can help identify that as a strategy that particular kid needs, you know? Mm, mm, I love that. Thank you for providing that clarification. Because I agree with you, I'd much rather see that kid in the classroom and take data for a couple of weeks and send mm-hmm. them on their way versus having them linger on forever and ever and ever, right? Mm-hmm. Because at that point, when do you graduate them from speech? If they're not at that 80% yeah. yep. <laughs> that conversational level. So yeah, I appreciate that clarification that you gave. All right. Why don't we go ahead and recap your three things we need to know about MTSS? Sure. So first, know your acronyms, but essentially we're talking about differentiated instruction and how we can meet the needs of any learner that shows up. I know as a school SLP, like you never know who's going to move into your district, right? (laughs) And so you want to be prepared to meet the needs of any learner and know how to differentiate that instruction and provide education to others on how they can do that in the classroom. So know your acronyms. And then reframe your perspective, I think, is the second piece. It's easy to feel bogged down and like, how are we supposed to do this? But know that it's an opportunity to really prioritize those indirect services. And indirect services means more students supported up front. It means early intervention, and it means more time and getting to the systemic issues that are causing all of your referrals and causing our caseloads to inflate rather than waiting for those referrals to come in down the road. And then the third piece is what does it look like at each of those tiers? And honestly, it's going to be different at every school. In general, there are three tiers and we know the first tier is all students and they're getting universal support and we're trying to bulk it up, make it robust. But then moving up from there, that's going to look different depending where you are and what kids you're working with. Some districts put special education as tier three, sometimes tier four is special education. It'll look different. But knowing your role, right, how can you effectively move through the tiers if you haven't even figured out what your role is in that? So I think you have to narrow it down. And then the resources, right? So ASHA is a huge resource. I put a handout on my website with as much information from today as I could. That RTI talk by Barbara Aaron and Maureen Stoskowski, they answered a lot of questions that I'm sure you're thinking right now. So that's a really good resource to turn to right away tomorrow. 
And then just the other articles that I've referenced and kind of looking at the classroom, the strategies, the articles tell you different intervention models and different strategies that you can use. Awesome. And then our one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Yep. And then your strategy is to look critically at your referrals, what's missing from the curriculum, and look at your curriculum and try to figure out where those gaps are and where you can start tomorrow to fill them in at the tier one level to maybe head off some of those referrals when you get past tier three. Fantastic. So I guess my last question for you, as you were talking about looking critically at your curriculum and your gaps, what do you do with those teachers who call you frantically like the second week of school? Do you ever see similarities between like the type? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like those similarities of the teacher saying they're not following directions. I can't understand them. Yeah, I think over time you start to see a pattern because the teachers are curriculum based. They teach the same thing in the same way for the most part. And so those barriers to learning start to pop up and you start to see patterns in certain classrooms that maybe this teacher needs a little support. And teachers are naturally gifted at certain things. One might be really good at modeling story grammar, but give directions that are maybe a little too wordy. And another teacher might be really good at noticing morphology, but not know how to embed story grammar practice into their interactive retail. So I think as you work with the teachers, you start to see from a language perspective what's missing from their classroom. And you can offer to model strategies, to teach lessons, to provide education on those specific skills. Thank you for that clarification, because I'm very literal at times. I'm thinking, you know, that literal like textbook curriculum that's being given to the students, but I really appreciated how you shared how the teachers are teaching the curriculum and how they're interacting with the students. I appreciate that. And I always think that, you know, when we go into the do our classroom observations for our assessments, nine out of 10 times I'm observing the teacher and how the teacher is providing instruction. So I really appreciate that taking that lens when it comes to our MTSS process. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Is there any last information or last tips that you want to share with us? I think that was it, but I will say that I am active on Instagram. I love sharing what I'm doing during the day and I do share my part in RTI as I go throughout my school day. You know, I recap at the end what I did that day. So I'm always open to questions or helping you brainstorm how can it work at your district. Thank you so much, Brittany. Brittany, you absolutely were the right person to break this down for us. I have learned so much in this hour. So I really appreciate you taking the time not only to prepare and to provide us with so many resources through your handout, but just taking the time to spend with us. So thank you so much. For those of you that want to follow Brittany, she is at Seldom Speechless on Instagram. Please sign up for her website. She has really great resources that aren't just related to MTSS. She has some really great organizational things too as well. So definitely, definitely check her out if that's something that you are feeling not as strong in. So definitely check out Brittany. Again, I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you. I was really glad to come on and excited to share. You know, I'm just a school-based SLP and I'm trying to figure these things out too. And this is just what's working for me and my interpretation of the whole thing. So I was happy to share. Thank you. All right, everyone, just as a reminder, please log into your course portal and complete all modules, especially the one entitled quiz. And we hope to see you back here soon. Thanks, everyone.
Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Use the special coupon code for listeners of this podcast, LIFE20, for $20 off an audio course subscription. Audio course subscriptions give access to all existing and new audio courses from speechtherapypd.com. More than 200 hours of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly. Only $59 a year with the code LIFE20. Visit go.speechtherapypd.com life for more information and start earning CEUs today. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Music